Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Regional Roundup. Money FM 89.3. It is now time to take a look at some news headlines from around the region. In particular, Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim urging government-linked investment companies and government-linked companies to reduce their overseas investments and increase their domestic investments. Plus, uh, we get the latest from Indonesia's upcoming presidential elections. Helping us out today, Nicholas Fung, Managing Director Black Dot and Director for Security and Global Affairs, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very impressed with how you managed to read off of that every time we speak. Well done on that. Yeah, next time we see him, I see you in person, I might actually say out your full title and name as well. <laughs> it is a, is this a mouthful. Okay, let's, let's talk Malaysia. Anwar Ibrahim in action. First things first, he's urging government-linked investment companies and government-linked companies to first reduce their overseas investments and then increase their domestic investments. Is it even a viable idea? Is there even enough domestically to interest? Or is there a value proposition here to invest mm. domestically? Well, it's a, it's a good question and a very valid one. I think on paper, if you look at what Prime Minister Anwar is calling for, it's hard to necessarily fault the intention, right? He wants to, as we've been discussing you know, over the past few weeks and months, for sure, boost up the Malaysian domestic economy. Uh, and he's looking for all ways and means to do that. So he's called for more foreign investment. He's gone to the US. He's been trying to source for investments in the tech sector. He's looking for, for anything that can contribute to a stronger domestic uh, economy. And it's something that you know his supporters and, and Malaysian citizens have been looking out for for a long time. So you would think that aligning the government being companies, the GLTs and the government investment companies, uh, their investment strategies with national policies is not a bad thing. He said that he does want to align this with national industrial and energy transition plans. I think on paper, it all looks, you know, with the, it's being done with the best of intentions. But when you look at these companies themselves, they, they technically should be run with a slight commercial motivation on top of the strategic intentions as well. So when they look for investments and when they look for opportunities, uh, if you just think about um, you know, uh, different types of government companies that we are potentially familiar with in Singapore, mm. uh, we would hope that they look for opportunities in markets that provide the best returns and allow the, the best kind of performances for these companies as companies and organizations themselves. And to artificially then say, reduce your foreign investments and come back domestic, you, it is a sign of, you know, to put it bluntly, uh, interference in the operations of these companies. Right. Now, if they end up not doing so well, who's going to, you know, back them up and support them? Is the government going to step in to, to support them in that sense? And would that then, you know, uh, create some kind of uh, more drain on the government coffers in Malaysia? Mm. Now, the second issue is also that Mr. Anwar has highlighted again the significance of attracting foreign investment to Malaysia. Mm. Now, if you then get your GLCs and your GLICs to focus on the, the Malaysian market, is that necessarily going to muscle out or reduce the opportunities or attractive opportunities for foreign investors? You know, will the GLCs and GLICs you know, technically be given preferential uh, access to the best domestic opportunities? Yeah. And how are you going to balance that? Yeah, you know? yeah. That's a good point. Actually, if you don't mind, and I'm 
I want to speak to the ex-journalist in you when mm. uh, Mr. Anwar used the phrase uh, to the GLCs and GLICs, uh, don't just focus on profit. I mean, that, that kind of creates a bit of a mm. scratch hit moment. <laughs> Back to your last point, is there so-called preferential treatment? Mm, yeah, so, you know, uh, Mr. Anwar actually urged the, the, these companies, the GLICs and the GLCs, to submit reports within a month that outline their investment plans focusing on Bumiputra initiatives, employee housing education and improving education quality for the employees now because under certain nationalized companies experiences in the past you know a a significant number of their employees still remained you know facing extreme poverty their families and the employees of the the, the families of the employees were, were not necessarily lifted out of poverty so you know he's highlighted this you know as well as the Bumiputra initiatives as the key focus he wants the GLIC and GLCs to to sort of highlight in in their plans. That doesn't sound very commercially minded. Yes, it is very good for domestic concerns and for the citizenry. But, you know, are you hamstringing these companies? Are you giving them priorities that they may not necessarily have had themselves? So I think it remains to be seen. It definitely is with the best of intentions again. But uh, we'll have to see how there's so many forces at play. There's the foreign investment piece as well. Um, I think the, the proof will be in the pudding when we see how this actually plays out going forward. Uh, something else with regard to Mr. Anwar, his aide, Azman Abidin, has uh, called for an investigation into an allegation that a Parikatan national leader is involved in trying to offer bribes to influential figures and MPs to topple this unity government. What do we know about these allegations so far? Another political play, perhaps? Oh, my goodness. I mean, we've, we've spoken about this again as well in the past. And I think as, as a neighbour to Malaysia, we, we hope to see, of course, greater stability for the country as a whole and in particular politically as well. Uh, and this sounds like it's going it's the start of another little bit of drama if it does prove to be true. Uh, as you say, Mr. Anwar's political secretary uh, has actually expressed the hope that the police can look into allegations that were first made on, on a blog that the opposition are sort of banding together. They have raised like a billion ringgit in funds to bribe government MPs into retracting support for the Prime Minister. Mm. Um, it sounds like, you know, another uh, political drama yeah. brewing. Yeah. And there's already a name for this, right? There's the, it's being called a Dubai move. Uh, in reference to alleged discussions that yeah. took place in the United Emirates between opposition leaders and certain government representatives in a toppling the Anwar administration. Yeah. Um, now, all, there are a lot of rumours, as, as we say, a lot of this is being triggered by a blog post. Uh, and there has been, you know, of course, nothing concrete that has come out to, to say that this is actually happening. But... If we know the history of recent you know, political change in Malaysia, the Sheraton move, and now we see the Dubai move, you know, I think it, it, even if it's just a rumor, it definitely does not instill a great sense of uh, confidence yeah. in the country. Uh, if, if you are a foreign investor and looking at this, you'll be like, oh my goodness, here we go again. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I certainly hope that it's not true. I think we have, we have seen the Anwar administration make some positive steps in recent months and the one year that they've been in power. Uh, and hopefully, they, you know, we, we don't see a return to the kind of instability that we've seen in, in the past few years.
I'm sure someone from Netflix is paying attention. I'll get to that in a while for sure. <laughs> Just one more point on uh, Mr. Anwar. He has appointed Zulkifli Hassan as Deputy Manager of Religious Affairs. Nick, what does this mean for PASS? Does it actually slow the rise of PASS? Mm, I think experts are saying that uh, this definitely is not uh, a proven way to slow down PASS, but mm. it's definitely the intention between Mr. Anwar's appointment of the new Deputy Religious Affairs yep. Minister. Now, the appointment of Dr. Zukifi is significant because he is part of uh, ABIM, which okay. is the Malaysian Islamic Youth Movement, which is uh, an organization that has uh, you know, been active in the country. As the name suggests, it obviously represents, it is an Islamic mass-based organization that was established in 1971 uh, and started out in student and youth activism on Malaysia's university campuses. So they do, they have, you know, risen to prominence in terms of its members' activities in the education and economic sectors. And they have moved into local and global humanitarian and charitable causes and promotes interfaith dialogue in Malaysia. So the appointment of Dr. Zukifli is significant because he comes with a certain amount of credibility yeah. uh, in his work at uh, the ABIM. And, uh, you know, the ABIM is actually important uh, aspect of the Madani concept, the Madani Malaysia oh, wow. concept that okay. Minister Anwar had. It's his vision for Malaysia and he first coined the term in 1997. Yeah. As you know, it refers to a more civil, uh, united, harmonious Malaysia that emphasizes values and, and humanitarian yeah. aspects as well. So, you know, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a very, it's a no-brainer appointment for Mr. Anwar, but because Dr. Zukifli comes with uh, this very strong backing and background and uh, knowledge and leadership work, you know, in, in terms of Islamic laws yeah. and things like that, it will allow him to, to take on a certain prominence and take away a little bit from the past narrative, right, which uh, obviously is a little bit more uh, stringent when it comes to interpretations of Islamic laws and things like that. Okay. Um, and because of the, this, the ABIM's uh, keenness to promote the Madani approach, towards Islam, where outreach is important and progressive values are upheld. I think it's a really nice mix combination with the, the Ahmad administration. And we'll see whether this actually, in, in, the, in the longer term, reduces the influence of part in this particular aspect of, of Malaysian politics. Yeah, it'll be quite interesting, especially with the demographic uh, that's, uh, you know, rising into the work population as well. Nicholas, we can't talk about Malaysia without mentioning Man on the Run, the Netflix show. It's on my to-watch list. Uh, and the former Prime Minister Najib uh, has threatened court action over this. I mean, can he actually succeed here uh, based on, you know, some of the accusations that he's put out or some of the claims that he's put out? Well, it remains seen that he's raised a few points in what he calls a slander against him to contain his documentary. I think he's just recently made this call. And uh, yeah, the film myself uh, is doing quite well. I think it's, it's number two in Malaysia and yeah. potentially number four here in Singapore based on what I've seen. But, you know, it does raise up certain propaganda of views that uh, were repeated before the 14th general election. It raises some, you know, previous scandals as well. And, you know, if you were if you were Najib, obviously you would be a little bit annoyed that these were all coming out again yeah. um, at this point in time. But I think the critical thing to note is the timing yeah. of, of all these events. Now, uh, we are hearing that, uh, you know, Malaysia is actually set to decide 
on uh, former PM Najib's uh, high-stakes bid for a royal pardon. Um, the Malaysia's Pardons Board, which is headed by its king, is set to actually meet uh, later this month. I think yes. you know it's scheduled for the third week of January, and it could make a decision on whether to pardon uh, Mr. Najib or not. Now, if with all that sort of on the line, the last thing you want is for a super popular Netflix uh, documentary to go around influencing sort of public opinion, mm. you know, and rekindling some of the old uh, rumors or allegations against uh, Mr. Najib. So I think we can understand why he's upset now as to whether, you know, it's going to be successful or not. I think Netflix is keeping on. They're not commenting on the issue as yeah. well. Uh, he's raised the point that this might be subjudice, say, given that the, his case is potentially still before the courts. Yeah. And of course, with this potential pardon or cards, you know, if I were him, I'd be, I'd be super annoyed as well. Yeah, yeah. Contentious to his uh, corruption trial, the words he used there. Uh, okay, uh, Nicholas, we've got a little bit of time to talk about Indonesia's presidential elections. It's happening on Valentine's Day, the 14th of February. Uh, at the rate that things are going, uh, how do you see this playing out? A, a, a two-round affair, perhaps? Uh, this is really uh, a critical question, and you know I'm planning myself a trip down to Jakarta not this weekend but next weekend mm-hmm. to get a better sensing on the ground of what's happening. But you know I think we we've seen the polls and we've seen the reports that put you know Prabowo Subianto as the front runner, and you know the fact that he has been leading in the polls for quite some time now seems to suggest that it might be a foregone conclusion. Right. Uh, in particular, he's doing quite well with the younger demographic. He's been active on TikTok, on social yeah. media. Yeah. You know, he's, he's always featuring his cat, which apparently is a, <laughs> is a big winner among younger voters. <laughs> um, and to a certain extent, it's sort of, you know, I wouldn't say wipe away, but it, it replaces the, the, the accusations and allegations um, you know, that he had faced, you know, some decades ago. Yeah. They include the kidnapping, torture of activists, human rights abuse in Papua and East Timor and stuff like that. People don't really talk about this now. And younger voters in Malaysia, based on based on polls and surveys, seem to say that they, they are more focused on, on current day, day-to-day sort of issues, the economy, unemployment, yeah. inflation, and things like that. Right. So so Mr. Prabowo seems to be, to be uh, you know, in, in the lead, the fact that he's running with uh, his vice presidential candidate, um, the eldest son of current President Jokowi, and he's sort of talked about the, wanting to continue the policies of the Jokowi administration. Um, that provides quite a lot of reassurance for, for voters who want to see some kind of stability as well. Right. Um, but, you know, as we know, if he fails to get 50% of the vote, then they go into potentially a, a runoff election with the top two candidates. Uh, and then we face some challenges because his other uh, his challenges, former Jakarta Governor Anis and former provisional provincial Governor Ganja, if their supporters come together, and then potentially they could beat Mr. Prabowo in a runoff election as well. So you know, I think there's it's everything to play for. Yeah. Uh, it's not far away, but you know, I suspect that we'll see a lot more developments in the next few weeks. I'll be heading down there to get a better sense and and maybe we can chat about it after I come back. For sure. And I'd like to get your take uh, the next time we speak on uh, the uh, importance of uh, the continuity of Indonesia's foreign policy. And perhaps we'll see uh, how things pan out in the coming weeks for sure. Nicholas Fang, Managing Director, Black Dot, as well as Director for Security and Global Affairs, Singapore Institute of International Affairs on the line with me. Nicholas, thank you for your time. Take care and have a great Wednesday evening. Take care, buddy. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg 
or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.